Hello and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week, decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Today it is Wednesday, September 8th. I have with me Ben and Dan. Hello. Hello. So last week, as I was leaving this podcast, recording it, I went on the subway and came back to my apartment literally like 30 minutes before I would have been stuck on a subway, I figured out later, that had to be evacuated. It's just insane to think that in our modern times, that people like the eight people in Queens that were just sleeping in their bed, there was a flash flood warning and all of them woke up and were basically drowning to death. It's, it's truly frightening and... It feels like a very modern issue that like you we, we can't even tell where it's going to strike anymore. Beforehand, we thought like we could predict a little bit. And then it was it was kind of frightening hearing de Blasio go on stage and be like, look, in the future, we just need to issue more flash flooding warnings. Like we need to be more preemptive about this stuff because we have no idea what's going to happen. I just feel like we're living in a world where you look at even things like Afghanistan, flash floods. We, we keep acting like. Oh, we're in this mode or we're in this new zone where we're going to have to be able to predict all these things that are happening to us before they do. But then we don't really have the capability to do that. It just feels like we're um, the start of some sort of apocalypse movie or something. Don't you think, Dan? Ben, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think I would I'm curious. You obviously lived there and you lived through Katrina ish of like, just what is it like? Like the flooding just seems so like surreal from I mean, I wasn't there. We evacuated Katrina. But when you do hear about the stories about it and like how I mean, even this time, how the power shuts down, how people in like nursing homes have all these issues first. And then just there's vigilanteism and all this shit. It just it's pretty scary imagining a city where there's absolutely no power or parts of a city. Like, I mean, it, it reminds me of Sandy when I I lived in Chinatown during Sandy and the entire power of the city went down. I had to like go and get my bag. And the power lights were off. So there were cars just like peeling out around the street, like doing donuts in the middle of the street because there's like no police there. It's just it seems like we we live in a society or like something like um, what was it when there was all the George Floyd protests and all of a sudden a bunch of teenagers from the outer boroughs knew that the cops were going to be taken away from downtown areas. So they went and just looted a bunch of stores in the middle of downtown. It just feels like we're in a society where. The um, the amount of sort of pressure placed on the infrastructure and our just social services is so much that if there's any crack in it at all, it creates these truly dramatic life altering circumstances. It's like the pressure on all of our infrastructure and just society in general has gotten to this level where the downside of it are these really catastrophic things, people dying. Like if the power goes out in Texas, people die because they don't have AC. It just seems like every things are getting more catastrophic every year the like stakes increase yeah because i feel like a lot of it is is due to a lot of money being taken away from these infrastructures and being put into the pockets of gigantic corporations and also kind of to the original hurricane point if you look at the impact of climate change it's it's something like what 70 to 72 percent of all greenhouse gas emissions are produced by 100 corporations but the onus is being put on people to recycle and, you know, use paper straws and things like that. And it's it's absolute nonsense. Like you and me and, you know, everyone in the world, if, if we all pull together and did everything that we were supposed to do, it wouldn't make a significant enough impact. And it's just passing the buck onto onto the average person. 
that's like when I all right when, since I've started working at this restaurant the first couple of days I was there I noticed they had these two plastic bags which I thought was where you put your recycling and then I would do that every day and then at the end of the day I noticed the kitchen staff would just put those plastic bags in black bags and then throw them out and I was like okay so you're just putting on this facade that you're recycling and at the end of the day you're just throwing everything out and the moments like that make you realize that like individual personal choices really don't make a difference if there's not some sort of larger structure at play. And then you see stuff like the vaccine. People haven't been getting vaccinated very much. Now there's this government mandate. So you look at the NFL and they're forcing you to go through all these uh, hurdles if you don't have a vaccine. It seems like although we live in a country where we prize individualism, when we say like, oh, everyone's, you know, taking care of themselves or all looking out for each other. At the end of the day, stuff like this has proved that that is fundamentally untrue. You have to force people to do things. There needs to be incentive structures in place. You need to like carrots and sticks or whatever to make sure that any of this stuff happens. People, there's no such thing as personal responsibility anymore. I don't think, I think anyone who believes that everyone is sort of looking out for themselves and that's like going to create this collective, um, everybody's then for, because you're looking out for yourself, you want there for the, that's just not how it works. It's like a dog eat dog, every man for himself type thing that doesn't produce any collective betterment. It produces just chaos and sort of anger and partisanship. Yeah, I mean, there's people who are out there like literally protesting doctors now when they've been working nonstop for the last 18 months because what they are encouraging is a tiny, tiny little inconvenience of getting vaccinated, right? As soon as a tiny bit of personal responsibility for protecting other people and your own health is put on to a large, uncomfortably large proportion of American society, like their, their instinct is to just lash out at the, the people who are saving their lives and taking care of them and preventing this from becoming, you know, a far worse situation. It's just ridiculous. Like the change in 12 months makes when doctors were getting applauded and cheering because they're the ones who are taking all the responsibility for keeping people alive. As soon as you have to do, you know, one tiny little thing, now it's right. the doctor's fault. Now they're like nurses who like who everyone was saying were the best people in the world and now are so frustrated by everyone not listening to them that they're quitting and there's they're every staff right. that the, yep. no hospitals can find enough nurses to work anymore it's just like i think that's the real i mean we just could have this like generational healthcare shortage right now because let's say covid it doesn't seem like it's going to go away away for six months nine months a year forever but it's if we have this like consistent hospital shock where 1%, 5% of the nurses are like, screw this. I'm getting, I have to work 24 seven because people won't get vaccinated. I'm quitting. Then it gets to flu season and we're in crisis and we have this perpetual, all hospital beds are full. And what do you do? And, and I think it was Idaho yesterday. They started they authorized hospitals to have death panels and just start denying care because they're too, full of people that are unvaccinated and so i don't know i i worry all the time that society is at a breaking point and this is another piece of evidence that dan you need to save us dan you need to run for something you should run for you should run against larry elder is that not is it too late for you or i think it's a little late for that but i would say it seems like gavin newsom is going to survive the recall the polls have definitely Wait, can you better. explain? I don't really get it. So they, people, California voters go to a poll and they first vote, do you want to recall or not? And then afterwards you vote sort of who you would recall him for? Is that how it works? Right. So two questions. In California, everyone gets mailed a ballot. So that makes does make a difference. The turnout is actually going to be decently, like decent, I would say, for an election, it seems like. You get mailed a ballot. First question, should you recall Gavin Newsom? He needs to get 50% to say no. And... 
if 50% say yes, then it, the second question is who should replace him? And just whoever gets the most votes replaces him. Really? That's so funny. Even if it's like 11% to 10%, the person with 11% wins. Could be 4% if there's enough people that run, and that person is the governor until the new election in 2022. So it uh, that's what that's how Arnold Schwarzenegger became the governor. Is uh, he? I mean, he did pretty well, but I think he got I don't know 40% or 35%. So he was number one. It was a su- substantial number, but he didn't get 50% of the vote. So but how do you see it? Like, what is? Do you see the dynamic? I, I saw Kamala's speech in California about how, like, this is the new battleground for, like, the future of, do you, or, I, I mean, I kind of feel that, that, like, California is, I mean, it's just wild that you could go from having a Democratic governor to Larry Elder in one day. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, it could happen. I think the more interesting thing, or as interesting maybe more interesting, is that San Francisco is also having recall elections for some of its city officials. So the entire school board is going to be up for a recall vote and um, the district attorney. So and that's the same day? That's our all, all no, of them different day. The same, oh. Everything's a different schedule. The recall, basically, you have to get a certain number of people to sign on and then they schedule it within 60 days of when you submit your petitions. So the recall for the school board, they just hit their, just turned in their petitions. So I think that should be in probably October, maybe, maybe early November. So yeah, it's a weird system that California has. I think that there'll probably be some effort to tweak it, especially if Newsom wins or survives the recall, that they'll try to change it a little bit to make it a little less dramatic of a process that, to your point, somebody could get 4% and be the governor. Yeah, it just seems like it's ripe for someone who's really smart at like political campaigning to come up with an idea and you know somehow finagle some yeah. crazy candidate into the governorship in the future. Right, Arnold Schwarzenegger, eight years. We <laughs> won re-election though. Where Larry Elder, I do not think would probably win re-election, but you never know. All right, what else? Should we pivot to new COVID variant? Ben, do you want to explain to us what what this is? What is it called? It's called Mu. Uh, that because, the angel of darkness or whatever the right term is. I feel like for the last two years, that's been your term. COVID is going to be terrible. Delta is going to be terrible. Now here's who. Uh, well, never leaving my house. Good to know. There's at least good news on that front. It seems okay. like you is uh, not going to be as bad as Delta. So, um, the mu variant has popped up and believed to originate, I think, in Colombia or somewhere in South America. I think it's Colombia. And it's been picked up recently because it has like one critical mutation that people think might make it more resistant to vaccines. But the good news is that it also seems to prevent it from kind of growing out of control. So all current models have it being out, per, uh, sorry, out competed by the Delta variant. So it's unlikely to kind of become the most dominant variant. I think the probability models are very, very, very low, but it's really it's a little scary because like in Florida, of course, in Florida, you know, the COVID Petri dish of the entire fucking world. Uh, I think it's like 9% of the new sequences that are coming in are of this mu variant. And you could potentially worry about like a co-infection situation because again, fucking Florida and potentially something bad could happen there. Uh, if you Wait, co-infection, meaning you could have both variants active within you. I thought sort of one yeah, variant dominates the other one. 
But doesn't I thought it worked that like one sort of dominates and outcompetes the other variant and it just is done or or that you can have multiple like does that work in the flu? Do, can I have like four flu variants within me at one time? Yeah, well, so for flu in particular, this is like a huge issue with zoonotic viruses. So flu is a little bit unique because flu has what are called gene segments, and so this is why like the swine flu is what H five N one. That means it has the fifth hemagglutinin gene and the first neuramidase gene. But what happens with flu is when it co-infects, these segments can kind of be swapped out wholesale. So you can just have like a big chunk of one flu that goes from flu virus X to flu virus Y if you have two different kinds with That's two different, four different kinds of gene segments. So flu is a little bit unique and it, it wouldn't be as easy for COVID to recombine in this fashion, but it is, you know, distinctly a possibility. So, so that it can make like a, 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 yeah, that can make like a super COVID or like a, a new combined covid or something because yeah, i was thinking as you said basically. that couldn't it go the opposite couldn't it be bizarrely couldn't it be like an effective thing like what if there was a variant that outcompeted covid for its like um contagiousness but it was just very less virulent or it was very mm-hmm. less um bad on your system that might end up being a great thing so this one variant would outcompete every other variant and make the entire disease worldwide softer right isn't that like a possibility it's possible but probably pretty unlikely because All a lot right, of what whatever, no 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 whatever. because a lot it's a, it's a it's a very good question like it, it it would kind of be like the holy grail of treating different viruses if you could just make like a super spreader that had benign effects but the issue is like a lot of what makes covid virulent and allows it to spread is the symptoms right like coughing expelling droplets that kind of thing so i think it would be a little bit difficult in this situation to envision but theoretically it is possible uh, i mean that sounds like also something that in some sci-fi novel you would dream of but then as you did it it would <laughs> create like fire. the worst thing yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> well i was reading like aren't they also didn't china develop something like it's they've now got dna vaccines it's not just mrna they figured out how to actually reconfigure your dna which that doesn't like sound a like a terrible idea <laughs> that seems doesn't like... seem like the best idea no uh, it does not. It seems like a really good way to get cancer. Uh, oh, God. If you're just integrating DNA into random parts in your yeah. genome, like you don't know what you're gonna link to what or what gene. I'll you're send you the up. article. There's I, a there's one of my favorite follows randomly on Twitter. Is, do y'all remember Jad from college? He's like a Lebanese dude. Yeah. He he posted the most interesting like not necessarily anti-COVID, but these like things that like throw everything into more question than you think. Like he was the first person I was seeing on Instagram talking about how Fauci is a little bit full of shit and like all these other things. I just, I, I like, I like contrarian Instagram Got posters. It. So he's a vax truther and you're <laughs> addicted to him now. It's good to is know. he taking the horse dewormer yet or no? No, <laughs> he was, but no, no, he did talk, he called out the fake news for that. Supposedly, the, um, the the liberal media was reporting like 70% of calls into some Alabama hospital and they released a press release. It was like, this person misread our thing. It was 2%, not 70%. So I think there is this like, although I agree that, that we we should be worried about all this stuff, I do think that the media really doesn't do its best job fact-checking or sort of like going through due diligence sometimes. You're it's talking like about not... the Rolling Stone article, which was like based yes. on a guy who worked... Uh, as a medical dispatcher from Oklahoma, and he was saying that gunshot victims aren't getting treated because there's so many people overdosing on ivermectin. And that one hospital system that is in his coverage area disputed, and that was the quote-unquote fact check. But the guy works for multiple hospitals. He could be dispatching them elsewhere. There's reasons to be skeptical about 
that one hospital, considering how shit uh, the data is coming out of Oklahoma. So well, they uh, reported a number that was like sixty-five percent too high. No, no, no. What you're thinking about? No, no, no. What you're thinking about is the 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 calls into poison control. So like in Texas, the poison control number is now seventy to seventy-five percent ivermectin overdose related. Is that true though? I thought I'm sure that's fucking true. Debunked. No. No. You think seventy-five percent? I don't know, Ben. Oh, this is, right, I'll look this up control. when I'm done. I'll I'll look this up. Oh, God. I'll look this up when I'm done. In the Go show ahead. notes, we'll put this in. <laughs> I'm te- no, that is completely believable to me because poison control is not a resource that's like yeah, that's widely true. used. You only call it degree. for yeah. All right, should we pivot again? What are we going to talk about now? Sports. Dan loves to talk about sports. Dan, you want to talk about Tom Brady to us? You love his his cleft <laughs> chin or whatever. I just think he's immortal and a great role model for athletes and people trying to be excellent at their job. Never give up. Keep working hard. Yeah. And eat, eat well. He's a great buy, Trump supporter. Mm, don't think he is. But um, he was maybe Trump curious in 2014, <laughs> 16. <Trump>. And, <laughs> and then came around, I think. Um, or would, like, he didn't go. He didn't go. Like, after, uh, after they won the Super Bowl. He didn't go. Yeah. To the so I like how you phrase it as go. if Tom Brady's like exploring his sexuality or something. <laughs> I don't know. He's got an open mind. Um, yeah, he, he explores his sexuality with his son, what I've heard. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Please edit that out. The NFL season kicks off on yeah, tomorrow, Thursday, right? Thursday night. Tomorrow, maybe when everyone is listening to this, it'll be tonight. Tom Brady looking for Super Bowl. Oh, it's he, he's the eight? first game? What is the first game? Yeah, the defending Bay. Super Bowl champ. Always defending Super Bowl champs playing the first game. Brady versus the Cowboys. Oh, the Cowboys. Nice. We'll see that defending Super Bowl champions are returning almost every single player that had an all-significant role. So That would be sweet if the Buccaneers drafted Cam Newton as their backup or signed him as their backup. Maybe. Instead, that Mac Jones show in New England after one year of having – no solid quarterback. Seems like the Patriots have the new generational talent, and Mac Jones is going to lead them back to the playoffs. I think it's cool. a terrible idea for the Bucks to sign Cam Newton. There's like a I, theory I, going I, around in they like advanced someone NFL who circles. Can actually, throw the ball. Like yeah, Garth well, like, would have been a good one for them. What you want ideally is you want your backup quarterback to have at least similar attributes, but he's obviously not going to be as good as your first choice quarterback. Right. So, you just right. so then you don't the have same to system. ruin the system. Cam Newton right. can't do any can do right. what two percent of the throws that Brady can. Right. He should like go a, to the Ravens. Andy Dalton or a Joe Flacco or something like that would be maybe a good backup for Gardner Minshew. I think would have been great, but he got traded to the Eagles. Yeah, so Tom Brady, and then we have the men's national team. Two draws, big match tonight in Honduras. We'll see. I love that you know so much about the fucking U.S. men's national team. <laughs> World Cup qualifying. This is the first. Set of three games. There's 14. It's like points. a must-win for them. Oh no! So they they've it's, got a lot of games to head. They still have a bunch of games. I think it would be huge if they could get a win on the road. Um, they had an uneven yeah, affair. No, who Canada. plays? Who are who are our strikers right now? Like who starts for the men's national team? Does is Bradley still on the team or no? We've moved on from that guy. I think that was a long time ago. Some of the ones. This guy, uh, Aronson, Brandon Aronson, who's uh, I think 19 or 20 years old. Scored the goal against Canada and looked. He had a lot of energy brought. And Christian Pulisic, who is Pulisic, Pulisic. Hey, as a true American, I can't say a name that has too many C's in it. And uh, isn't he like injured? He isn't even playing for Chelsea. Is he playing for the? No, he got COVID. He got COVID COVID in the middle of August. Yeah, he missed the Um, first game. Yeah, um, but he was in and looked pretty good. I mean, he was getting 
Is that guy going to keep the 10 play. shirt for Chelsea? I mean, yeah. it seems like there's a lot of competition for his role now. No? They're not going to take it off of him. I don't know. That would be pretty fucking harsh. That's not right. Gonna happen. So he played pretty well. I think there's a little uneven affair on the uh, back line, though. So some yeah. rough, I mean, just like leaving people one on one in space. I really can't believe Ray. how much Dan is, knows about all this shit. Now I'm gonna. <laughs> now I really want to go watch one of these games to see what we can talk like. about. It. I mean, it was true. I mean, there's a couple. It was one one. <laughs> it could have been four one. It was just they had some some rough plays. Got but it. U.S. did hit the post a couple times. So wait, is this tonight or tomorrow? The tonight. All right. Tonight. All right, I'm watching this shit. I'm watching it. It's a good one. So hopefully they get back to the World Cup. And then... Uh, in Probably the U.S. is going to be down two of the three best players. Um, so that sucks. And down two of their three of the best players? Yeah, Weston McKinney, because he broke well, the protocols. Well, McKinney, I mean, that's idiot. like... Yeah, he's an idiot. First he left to go, like, visit his girlfriend. Then he brought his girlfriend back to the hotel room. I don't think it was a girlfriend, the to bubble. be fair. <laughs> I, I think that's the generous to him. Lady friend is perhaps you're not allowed. Term. You're not allowed to leave the bubble, and you're not allowed to bring someone into the bubble. Yeah. And he broke both those rules, so he was sent yeah. home for... Uh, uh, and then the uh, others who's Gio Reyna, I think, is a handshake. Right, problem. Reyna, I know. It's tough, but... So. Wait, and I, I assume that's... I've never... See, I, I just really don't care about American soccer, but maybe I'll start paying more attention. But that's Claudia Reyna's son, I assume, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I, I, was, I thought that, too, that I was like, is that just... Am I just guessing? But it's... No, I mean, he's, he's better he's than good. his dad was. Uh, um, he's been killing it for Dortmund. I mean, he's pretty young to say he's better than his dad was. Dad had a really he's, illustrious uh, sorry, long yes, career. Yes, no, he's but, better than his dad was at the same age. He's a better prospect. Yeah, that's, he's that's what I mean. playing he's a, a significant role for the USMNT, so... He's also playing for a better team than his dad ever played for in Dortmund. So. Yeah, but that was a different era. Of, like, how many Americans went to Germany? Not a lot. Like, one dude, that one dude, whatever his name Reina, was. Gio Reyna was born in Manchester because his yeah, dad was playing for the shitty old for, like, after that, after that, whatever, that one World Cup, the, 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 a handful of Americans. Oh, yeah, that podcast you made me listen to explained all that. That insane mm-hmm. podcast about, what was the name of that? American Fiasco. <laughs> yes, that's a good Very one. Very good one. Have you listened to that, Dan? No. What's that about? Try that out. I think you'd be into it. It's about like World Cup 94 or something and just about like shit show that was the American team. No, no, no. It's not 94. 94 was when we hosted. It was 98. 98 98 was the uh, like genuine. It's the the title uh, is exactly what it's about. Like the fucking insanity that happened. It is team. funny. There's like a bunch of interpersonal drama within the team that makes it really funny podcast. Yeah, it's very good. It's uh, I think it's only like ten episodes. It was like a limited series, so worth listening to. Dan, you want to play some soccer when I'm in San Francisco? We could do juggle. Can't wait. Yeah, soccer and tennis. We can do some. Uh, yes, I was about to say that too. You're still a, that's there's still a court right like two there's blocks from you, right? Yeah, not even. Like, great. There's a futsal court like five minutes from our house. Really? Here, oh man, I want to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds so fun. Maybe I will. Now that I'm Portugal is number two in the world in vaccination rate, behind only Malta. So wow. there you go. I think it's like 86% of eligible people have gotten vaccinated, which is you great. Think, you would wow, be great, great for the Portuguese Tourism Commission or something. I feel like <laughs> if you ever just get little nuggets. I uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I'll be in Lis- I'll be in Lisbon at some point in the next year. Yeah, it's worth visiting. I mean, well, you know. Just to kind of bring this full circle, what was like really, really gratifying to see at the vaccination center is like how many young people have really embraced this because as the age of eligibility to get vaccinated has dropped and dropped, it's like gone up exponentially. Like they're vaccinating between 100 and 200,000 
people a day here in Portugal, which is pretty crazy. Um, and so like all these centers are like staffed by volunteers who are all like teenagers because they're the ones doing a lot of the pushing to get everyone shot. Ben, to close the episode, will you say some sort of touristy, like come to the country? Statement? <laughs> uh, Visitar Portugal é muito bom, é muito lindo, há muitas coisas para ver, uh, o tempo é muito, é, é óptimo e uh, as pessoas, toda a gente, são muito queridas. <risos> Vamos, Portugal! Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please tune in next week when we'll be discussing the 20th anniversary of 9-11, Dan's birthday, and the U.S. men's national team. Talk to you then. <laughs>